the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. We are back. The time is 614 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Going back to line number one and talking with P.E. in Oakland. P.E., did you have anything else you wanted to talk about um, relative to your request? No, I just think that it's something that... um uh, needs to be addressed. You were on the topic of what's happening in our country and in our nations, and um, being someone who is a survivor from um, child molestation and, to, and, and going through things as an adult, mm-hmm. I just know that there's a lot of abuse that's happening in our churches, Right. and I wanted to know if you had any resources that I can um, support women who have gone through this um, this tragedy actually right no we're uh, as you speak i am certain that that's developing in terms of potential callers and people who will call our office on that on that kind of thing i think that what you're talking about is actually more specific um new life live would be dealing with addiction behavior patterns that would go on in the lives of men and women as you probably know they come on at one o'clock on this particular uh kfax station uh and they deal with a lot of that stuff on a larger general level but let's talk briefly about um, why it would be that there would be a context in the which uh, ministers, and we're going to say male ministers because I'm one of those old-fashioned uh, uh, preachers who who believe in the biblical qualifications for leadership in the church, particularly the pastorate being men only, um, having nothing to do with a women's capacity. It's just God's will and, and the scriptural mandate for, for men to, to be pastors, as well as the deacons and the elders. And yet, just because they're a man does not qualify them for leadership. And this becomes part of the problem. So every man that's in the pastorate is not qualified to be a pastor. First, a pastorate is a calling. It's not just kind of a job title or an office or a vacuum to be filled by an opportunist. And yet, certainly, I think you would agree and other women would agree with me as well as men that often our churches are are so politically motivated that um, qualification for leadership leadership in terms of uh, the pastorate is not even something that is really regarded, but popularity, uh, an opportunity for power, an opportunity for control, an opportunity for wealth and prominence is all that that person is seeking. And that's the very opposite of the qualifications for which the Bible says uh, we should be uh, determining our leaders in our churches. First, in regards to the subject of, let's say, the pastor or the elders and deacons, and they are men. They're going to be men if they're going to follow the biblical mandate. But if they're not uh, men who are uh, mature spiritually and wise spiritually and therefore gifted spiritually, here's what's going to happen. <clears throat> if they have uh, control of the congregation at the level of being able to uh, behave unseemly, unprincipled, then they're violating the very word of God that tells us in First Timothy chapter 3, where the leaders are uh, enunciated in terms of their qualification. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of pastorate or bishopric, he desires a good thing, a good work. 
but he must be blameless. That is, he must have a character that is without reproach by those that are without and within. He must have a character that is truly a consequence of the new birth and a lengthy period of time in his walk with God. And here is, I think, the chief attribute that should dominate his life, P.E., because when the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of spirit, gave the qualifications for leadership in the church in 1 Timothy 3, Two, he understood that he lived in a culture very much like ours, promiscuous, uh, pornographic, sensual, uh, polygamy, and uh, sexual looseness everywhere. So he says that that bishop or that pastor must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And literally in the Greek, it would be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. Now, what does that mean? In the Spirit of God, gave us this principle to underscore the essential character of the pastorate must be that he does not have a propensity to playing the field with women. He must not have a propensity to playing the field with women. He must not have a disposition that he fondles the sheep, that he uh, that he uh, inappropriately addresses the female counterparts in his church, and that's something that they all know. This disqualifies him from the ministry at the outset. He's not demonstrating the exclusivity of a man who is committed to his wife alone in the context of the uh, the sensual and the sexual. If he doesn't have the grace to see his sisters in the church as just that, first of all, sisters, or maybe even his mama, uh, but somehow sees them as prey for his own sexual gratification, then he's a wolf. He's not a Amen. shepherd. He's a wolf. And you've got tons of wolves in the church. And then, unfortunately, you got a ton of goat women in the church as well. Goatish women who actually play on that as well. But if you have a sheep, a sister who is just trying to do the Lord's will, and she's a beautiful sister, as all of our sisters are beautiful. That's just the way y'all are. Um, and, 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 a, and a pastor comes the wrong way at her, then he's going to be exercising an undue amount of pressure because of his position. And it's exactly the same thing in the secular context. Context relative to men in power who end up taking advantage of the young uh, intern, the young new hireling who wants to make her way up the uh, business ladder. And she knows that, you know, he can pull the strings. Well, unfortunately, if it's not an intrinsic character, we, we call it um, an ethical break, a moral compass that does not draw the line. Uh, psychology calls it boundaries as well. If a godly man does not have the boundaries uh, in his soul to restrain him from being inappropriate with one of the members of the church, well, he's in trouble. He needs to hurry up and take a Sabbath and go get counsel or get out of the, the ministry because a pastor who is called to preach the word of God has to be insulated from those kinds of uh, r- radical temptations that disqualify him. Because if he starts doing it, the elders are going to do it, the deacons are going to do it, and there's going to be a quid pro quo going on in the church. And the next thing you know, it's kind of a uh, everybody kind of knows this is what goes on in the church. At that point, the church is completely corrupted. Its testimony is lost. It can't do anything for saved folk or unsaved folk because it has destroyed the presence of the Spirit of God in that place. Amen. And I, uh, where I receive and am in agreement to all that you have said, 
Um, again, I know that it's something that takes precedence in our churches. Yes, it does. And where we do have, where we do have um, new life. I mean, um, new life. Too. New life live. That's that's the general one. But I am in total agreement with UPE that we need to uh, probably search for and make sure that there are spaces for sisters who have been violated by pastors. Now, uh, I guess in the Christian media, and you know, I've I've, tr- I've followed these trends years ago when it was happening in some of our bigger churches because it's it happens in our churches, and you are absolutely right. Uh, and as a rule, uh, it doesn't go any further than that church. So if that church doesn't exercise the authority over against its leadership to want to uh, get them out or get them help, which may be getting them out, uh, then that church is going to suffer the consequences of its own um, uh, compromise as well. But it would certainly be helpful for sisters who have been abused by pastors along these lines to to have a, a space where they can deal with this therapeutically, professionally, spiritually, and, and theologically. I certainly agree with you, P.E. Is there anything else you want to say before I let you go, my sister? No, I'll, I'll try to circle back with your church to see if you um, have located or um, may have some um, inroads to some local churches. And I'll get, I'll tell you what, this this topic is going to come back up again. It's just going to come back up again because this is where we are. And it's important. It's important that men uh, be faced with this because this is kind of like the— this is really kind of like the slavery thing. Right now we're doing race relations dialogue in different churches, and this is an uncomfortable subject for our European British brethren and the history that they have had with Africans and Native Americans around slavery, and which has kind of been whitewashed and, and uh, hagiographed in terms of uh, you know the history and, and, and the books and stuff like that. that and now that's all coming to the surface, and we're having to deal with the facts and the consequences and the implications of that. And if we're going to have healthy dialogue as as Christians, we have to know what the facts are about racism, prejudice, discrimination, etc. If we don't, we're going to be talking apples and oranges and trying to cover over the root of a problem that won't go away until it's confessed. The same thing here. If this is an underlying uh, massive, massive, massive iceberg in the church where these kinds of things are happening in the churches, God's going to expose it. Soon enough, P.E., and it's going to be the thing that we have to talk about and deal with and ask ourselves, where did the church go wrong to allow all this? Like in the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church hid its molestation of boys and girls and children for many, many years. Now it's out in the open. Everybody knows the priests are, are rubbing up against these boys and these girls, and uh, and there is some, some consequences falling out as a consequence of it. This is what light does over time to these kind of matters because God cares. Yes, yes, he does. Well, I would like to thank you for your your time, Pastor Jesse, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Blessings. Let me go to line number uh, three and talk with Ken in San Jose. Ken, what is your question, comment, or observation about what we're talking about tonight? Okay, Pastor Yusan. Yeah, my observation or comment is that um, we uh, ought to introduce a note of caution here and, um, you know, not just go by accusations. I'm looking at 2 Timothy 3, verse 3, in which it St. Paul stated that in the coming apostasy, which we're experiencing these days, that there would be a lot of false accusers. So, you know, we can't just go by accusations. We have to get, you know, the Bible says two or three, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. And I was a victim of this kind of thing. And uh, fortunately, the woman that uh, tr- uh, tried it on me using a young lady who, who she influenced had also tried a pre- uh, the same thing with a previous husband 
who um, backed me up when the police investigated it. So that helped a lot. So, uh, but anyway, it's it's it can be a very um, you know a very uh, uh, fearful thing for somebody who is falsely accused and possibly going to jail for it. Absolutely, we don't ever want to advocate. Um, false allegations. That's how our Lord was crucified. He also said in Matthew chapter five, this would be a fundamental tenet of the secular world or the unregenerate church world against good and godly men. Unsaved people hate godly people. That's just true. And so if you are in a position of authority as a pastor or a leader or even just a person, and I've known a number of fathers who have been uh, unfortunately falsely accused by their daughters uh, for whatever reason, and uh, they've had to fight, uh, excuse the pun, like hell in order to overcome the allegations. It's almost impossible, and the scriptures lay this out clearly, Ken, that if you and I are going to live in this world as godly men, it's almost impossible not to suffer the persecution of false accusations or allegations. It's almost impossible. It's just that when they occur, we want the due process in order to um, to to vindicate ourselves. Uh, and the biggest testimony, before I let you go, um, about vindicating oneself is simply that you don't have to vindicate yourself when you have a pattern of life that demonstrates otherwise. If 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 you, for instance, I've been pastoring for twenty one years, going well twenty five years, twenty one at Grace here. Uh, if if anyone wanted to rise up, they could they could say that I've done something. They could argue that Pastor Jesse has done something, behaved this way, behaved that way. Um, but I, I'll tell you what, in the 25 years that I've been in the ministry, having had such robust examples of godly men who have been able to walk with a character of, of sterling commitment to Christ because of the witness that it bears and the effectual work that it wrought in the life of people, God has granted me the grace to be able to conscientiously say that I have never, ever crossed the line or touched somebody or done anything with anyone, male or female, uh, for which I have to worry about some skeletons in the closet or um or or any legitimate accusations coming at me legitimate accusations i've had uh, several accusations in the past of crazy stupid uh illogical things and i i would say to those persons who would say you 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 caught me where <laughs> doing what bring that to the table and let the saints hear you say that and 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 we'll let them testify to 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 one's character and conduct. So uh, so the thing that a pastor has to do, and I'm going to say this before I let you go, and I definitely appreciate your caution, Ken. It's absolutely appropriate. Uh, the thing that a pastor has to do is what King David did before he got in trouble, and that is to go in and out among the people as an under shepherd and a sheep under the true shepherd himself. So that the people know you for who you are, not for who you are trying to be or pretending to be. So that leadership in the church, pastors, elders, and deacons ought to be known by the congregation. That's First Thessalonians chapter 5. Know them who have the rule over you and the authority over you and, and, and be at peace with them and, and walk in unity and harmony with them so long as they meet the biblical qualifications of uh, the, the kind of humility that allows them to be authentic men and women, not 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 people pretending to be holy and righteous and and, and self righteous, 
but actually born again with the spirit of, of Christ in us, the hope of glory, and also the grace of the spirit of God for us to walk in real charity and brotherly love. Now, in order for us to be able to do that, uh, given all the temptations that come along uh, and, and tempt us all, which I would agree that the temptations are there, um, what it requires is for us to constantly maintain a practicing of being in the presence of God, Coram Dale, to make sure that we know that we are walking in the light. And if we're walking in the light, we're going to be dealing with our heart, not just our words or our conduct, but our evil, wicked, vile hearts that are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I own, prone to blaspheme his holy name, prone to do wicked and evil things like the next man. This is why we believe in the doctrine of total depravity. If it wasn't for the grace of God keeping us, and it's only God's grace that's able to keep us, we wouldn't be able to stand and say, where are my accusers? But that's the grace that God has to give leadership if leadership is going to withstand the false accusations that come against them on a ton of levels. And so, Ken, I do thank you for that observation. I've got to take a break. When I come back, I'll take your calls on uh, this Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one 367 We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back. The Bible says in Titus chapter 1, dealing again with qualifications for leadership in the church, pastors, elders, and deacons constitute the local church government, that the bishop must be blameless, the as a steward of God, this is Titus chapter 1, verse 7, the bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the same gainsayers. And so the apostle lays out the qualifications for leadership that would set them in a context where they are the first and uh, most responsible for reigning in the cultural uh, patterns of life so that he doesn't quickly identify with them and bring that secularism into the church and blaspheme God's holy name. Let me see. Let me go to line number four and talk with Misty from San Francisco. Misty, what's your comment, question, or observation about our topic? Hi. This is really a hot topic. (laughs) Let's just put it this way. I think it's number one hot topic uh, in society, in the world. I think the downfall of basically everything is uh, the sexual sin. You don't need to have sex to even uh, to be happy or to live a happier, healthy life. I agree. And people just don't even see it that way. There's so many other things to focus on that are so much more important. I agree. Even in a relationship, there is so much to a relationship that brings you beauty and comfort and care and understanding. I agree. It doesn't even have to do with that. I agree. And it's just, it's really sad, you know? And I just wanted to say one quick thing in reference to Jeff's call. I love hearing these interesting calls. But I wanted to tell him, which you may not understand this, because the spirit, the spirit is spiritually discerned, but it's foolishness. The gospel is going to appear cuckoo, crazy, kooky to you who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, because we spiritually discern the Word of God, we are being saved. So I pray that you will be saved, Jeff, and that your mind will one day understand what we're talking about. Now, in reference to this um, sexual issue out there, Basically, there's so many forces 
battling against this because the demons uh, and the devil's hotbeds are all these areas. Sex, drugs, uh, porn, everything like that. And, you know, in my view, uh, the spirit and purity is in the heart, is in a changed heart. And I don't believe it's uh, personally how someone appears. God sees the heart. You've got eccentrics. You've got uh, you know, people that dress this way, that dress that way. It's how someone's character is, how their commitment is, how they love. And it's, you know, it's a very deep issue, but it's unfortunate. And, and the sad thing about it is to find a man of purity of heart and courage and commitment and loyalty, I mean, that is a rare, rare commodity. And that is why our world is in disarray and trauma, because men cannot bridle this sexual sin. And if they could, mm. this mm. whole world and relationships would be different. They would. That's what I believe. Nope. 100%. I mean, 100% total, period. Amen. It would be just like that. It would be changed. It would be changed We'd without... We'd have relationships. Yep. We'd have love. We'd have commitment. Yep. yep. It would be changed. Ain't no doubt about it. Thanks, sis. Let me go to line number. It's just true. It's just true. I, just, I, I, was, I was thinking about the sex part. That's still a pretty good deal in the context of marriage. I'm sure Misty knows that. But really, what the devil does is he takes a component of the Imago Dei uh, exalts it and makes it the most important thing when it is a, a it is a significant part, but not the total part. And certainly in relationships, it's not the main thing. It is a fundamental, but it is not the main thing. God means for sexual conjugation to take place between husbands and wives because that is a point of connection. It has to happen so long as you can do it. I mean, you know, once you become a rocking chair sinner like uh, George H. Bush was, he's in wheelchairs now, right? Taking photo pictures with women and the women are charging him with sexual harassment because he can barely get his hand up, but he gets it high enough to touch their butts. See? See what I'm saying? Yo, rocking chair sinner. You need redemption in your hands and in your heart. But the Bible would also tell us, and I think Misty would agree, that you still have to dress right. You cannot be a provocative dresser coming to church with your cleavage down to your nipples and your butt out uh, and expect people to be able to focus on the Lord. That's not going to happen. So, so dress right. Let me go to line number two and talk with Chris in Richmond, Virginia. Chris, what's going on? How can I help you, my brother? Pastor Jesse, hi. Actually, I'm in Richmond, Washington. Washington, uh, okay. I, you know what? My, yeah, that, that's right, Washington. All right, so talk to yeah. me. What's going on? I'm good. I, I want to give a compliment, comment, and a concern. Compliment is I've been listening to you since 2009. I got a chance to meet you at uh, a few of the Bible studies and even at the conference that Dr. Fortney came to. And you've always been a blessing to me. I appreciate you. All right, thank you. Um, yeah, and I came at the tail end uh, of the conversation, but as always, it's something I see that it's not going <laughs> to, it's not going to ever go away. It seems like right. um, me myself, I've came across situations, not personally, but just hearing stories and even within church where just the whole uh, act of, of the, uh, the the irresponsibility of the shepherd, and, you know, dealing with man and female and. Uh, within family members, uh, people have been scared away and just strayed off from church because of just the, the, the I would say, just the, the, the beast yep. mentality. Yep. And I hate to say that, but it's the truth it's that, true. you know, um, you know, people cannot go to church. And, and we can we talk about male and, and female. female. Yep. And 
You, you know, and, you know, one thing I do appreciate, you know, pastors such as yourself who uphold, you know, the integrity and the truth and the reverence and the honor for God and Jesus and what, the, you know, and what we chose to go by with having the Holy Spirit within us. Yes, sir. Uh, me, you know, as a man myself, I'm involved in ministry yeah, from yeah. a layman's standpoint, but yeah, yeah. I've always uphold the basic standard of when I see a woman that's older, that's my mother. Absolutely. When I see a woman that's my age, that's my sister. sister. And if a woman is younger, that's my daughter. That's right. <laughs> Even though I have, you know, and so I just want to say that, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, like you always say, until we go to glory, this will be something in the natural, you know, that it'll, you know, uh, eventually be conquered because the enemy's always out there, you yes, know, yes, looking sir. to deceive and, and, and throw us off. But, you know, we just have to keep, you know, striving within Christendom and just, you know, keep fighting. Yes, sir. Um, and yes, then, sir. you know, and so I'll, I'll get off. But then my, my, um, again, my compliment is always, I appreciate you. I, I thank you. And then also, um, I wanted to go back from a couple of months ago. Um, I, he might be listening. Uh, when I got a chance to be blessed to listen to you and which was a, a, a friendly debate, uh, between you and Pastor Lomax out of Daily City. Yeah. Of which I've had the opportunity to talk to as well, uh-huh. you know, uh, you know about the tulip doctrine. And one thing I did appreciate is that the fact that you guys have befriended each other and you did it in a decently and orderly way, and you didn't disrespect, you know, you disagreed to disrespect, or if I can even say that. So um, again, I um, I'm up here in Washington. I'm supporting you way up here, and I like you guys on Facebook and. Again, um, you got to support up here, but again, I guess we just have to stay in constant prayer in the seed and absolutely and just in corporate prayer and and just in, until <laughs> you know we could uh, just do away with this whole matter. I thank you guys and God bless you, Pastor. You too, my brother. You too. Um, with regards to um, debate, that's a whole nother category, but it must be done civilly. It must be done respectfully. I do have an article here. I'm not going to bring it up this time, maybe next time, around why it's going to be important for us um, who are men of God to be able to um, uh, teach Scripture, defend Scripture apologetically, and even if necessary, polemically. But certainly in the context of a pluralistic society such as ours, we definitely want to be able to have uh, debates, friendly debates with people of different persuasions within the framework of Christianity, no matter how severe those debate distinctions are. There are certainly those who would love to simply say if if people don't agree with them across every line of doctrine, they can't be saved, particularly in the Calvinistic camp. I've got those who get mad at me because I'm nice to the Arminian. Well, it's just that we're called to be nice to people in general. We don't have to agree with their theology to love them. That's certainly a call for us to have. Um, and if we're not acting like that, then we're immature and should not be representing Christ whatsoever. It's a comfort. It is a model. It is uh, essential to the body of Christ at large, even within the communities of, of reform folks who have a robust understanding of church history and the distinctives between the Arminian and the Calvinist, etc. It's just important for us to understand that we have to rise to the level of a Christ model when we dialogue about our differences. So I thank Brother Chris for that. And in terms of what we're talking about now, and I'll I'll be uh, taking a break before I talk to Stefan and Richmond uh, and John and Milpitas, uh, listen, uh, when when we're talking about something like sexual uh, impurity and perversion and and the uh, aggressive behavior of men, not to exclude women, uh, we are uh, challenging our own hearts 
Yes, sir. I'm challenging my own heart now. I'm walking in fear and trembling, asking God to keep me today, tomorrow, and the next day. I want to be, for God's glory, a a, a, a specimen of, of love, charity, humility, and uh, valiant for the truth for my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I do want them to grow up being able to say to their generation, which will be horrifically given over to artificial intelligence and the manipulation of the human genome uh, and the DNA with epigenetics uh off the chart right now, epigenetics uh, influencing how we appear in terms of our color, height, sexual orientation. That's a whole new sphere of warfare that's going on, denying the uh, true Amajo day in mankind. That's a whole nother battle they'll be dealing with. But I do want them to be able to look back and say, Grandpa preached the gospel and he lived sincerely by the grace of God. Give them the motivation to do the same instead of assuming that everybody in the church um, is talking one way and doing something else. God take a break. When I come back, I'll take the few calls we have, and we'll shut this Monday edition of Life down, Lifeline down uh, after our break. We'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. Alright, let's go to line number one and talk with Stefan in Richmond. Stefan, what's your question, our comment, or observation on our topic tonight? Hey, what's going on, Pastor? Y'all talking about uh, women abuse, right? Yes, we are. Okay, I, I didn't. I wasn't able to tune in, but I got this question in regards to uh, monogamy and, po- and polygamy. Sure, I'm part of a um, I'm part of a presentation in my school, and the, that's the topic that we have to be able to present on. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm standing on the side of monogamy, of course, but I'm getting. Uh, I had to. I took a step back because I didn't necessarily know how to answer the question why uh, polygamy was so was so uh, accepted in the Old Testament. Okay, I also had the argument going against me that it, uh, it was cultural, being that women couldn't provide for themselves, and it was economical, that it was more men than women. And then I think they're even trying to go into uh, the fact of uh, it was it was uh, apes or protecting their wives and their children or something they went off the left field with. But I want to see if you can, if you can ground me a little bit on uh, a redemptive purpose as to why it was allowed at that time. Right, so well. kind of point to it, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good t- it's a good topic. But the first thing you want to do is determine and contextualize your situation. It's a dialectic going on here. Is it an actual debate? Because if it's not a debate, you don't want to come at it from a debate perspective. Okay. If it's not a debate, uh, if it's not a debate, you don't want to stand in opposition to what they're saying, um, as if what they're saying is wrong or fallacious and and doesn't have any merit. If it's just a dialogue around the facts of polygamy in the Old Testament as well as in the world presently, then we will affirm that the Scripture accommodated. Uh, polygamy. There is no reason for us not to, because there's every reason for us to demonstrate the nature of God and accommodation, and yet not um, affirming it as his uh, or his ideal um, uh, purpose for mankind. We can reconcile accommodation on God's part. We would call this theologically his permissive will uh, versus his preceptive will. Uh, this, this is how we distinguish between what God has written should be and what God in his sovereignty allows. And, and yet what our theological and redemptive uh, solution to the conflict between the preceptive will of God and the permissive will of God is what we call the redemptive will of God. So some of y'all out there already got that. And, and I'm going to lay it out for you this way. Um, First and foremost, we would affirm anyone who would say that the Bible 
uh, demonstrates the allowance of polygamy. We would affirm that. What we would say in addition to that affirmation is to affirm something uh, as being allowed is not the same as saying that that was something that was stipulated, demanded, or mandated. To affirm something that is allowed is not the same as something being mandated, stipulated as an imperative. That we observe indicatively in the scripture, the behavior of the patriarchs as marrying two and three and four wives is something that we were clearly affirm because the scriptures are not playing games with us in terms of the historical narrative. The question we would have to ask is why were the patriarchs uh, disobeying God's original mandate in Genesis chapter one and two in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, 27 and 28. God says, let's make them male and female in the image of God created. He them male and female created. He him and them in the image of God. He, he created mankind. And in the second chapter, it says, and the twain became one flesh uh, and, and they were naked and not ashamed. And Jesus affirms this in Matthews 10 when he says what God has joined together, let no man break asunder. So Christ, who is the epitome of God's revelation has let us know that while God tolerated polygamy, he never mandated it. The twain become one flesh. It shouldn't be broken or distorted by the addition of others. Now, we might go on to agree with our um, uh, opponent, whatever the context is defined, by which they would say mm-hmm. culturally women were not advantaged enough to be able to survive on their own. We would agree with that. All of this falls under the category of the fall. We say that mankind fail in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And the subsequent consequence is everything has been locked cited every sense. Man is living in sin, living in rebellion, living in disobedience. So every good thing that God has given us is distorted, especially marriage. And so we would accommodate the argument that women being mishandled, women being treated as chattel, women being treated as less than human, had them in a disadvantaged situation where in fact, even the husbands were like lords and masters over them. For sure, that was the case. God tolerated that. But what did God do? He promised a seed through these women who would endure the paradigm of being married to a man who would be a husband, who would be a redeemer, who would be um, a, 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 a a savior type to them uh, by raising up children. This is why Paul said in First Timothy chapter 2, around verse 11 and 12, actually around verse 12 or 13, she shall be preserved and childbearing if she continues in holiness and sobriety with charity. So we would agree with them that those things did occur, but they were not the original design. Now that we live in a context culturally where women can become educated, can become uh, financially independent, they are free to marry whom they will and build a life that is much more equitable equitable, uh, and egalitarian in terms of them uh, fulfilling their roles as a man and a woman in this world. It does not contradict scripture. It simply affirms this. In a broken world, the solution to all the aberrations that go on is redemption. So here's what we say. In the fall, it got distorted. God's answer to it is redemption. In other words, where sin abounds, that's Romans 5.21, grace doth much more abound. Uh, The persons who might look at the scriptures and say, why did God do that? We would say because if he didn't allow his grace to reign in, 
and redemption to modify sinful behaviors, we'd all be destroyed. <laughs> Except the Lord had left a remnant, we'd all be like Sodom and Gomorrah. So the reason why God demonstrates that kind of toleration is because he knows in the end he still wins. Because redemption is the response to rebellion against a holy God. Otherwise, God has to bring us to judgment day and punish us for our sin. Do you see that framework around that, uh, Stefan? Yeah, yeah, I got that. I'm going to so, listen to that two or three more times. Yeah, so. yeah. Any, anything else before I let you go? Uh, not. I was it. I'm, I'm gonna definitely listen to the to the series again because it sounds it sounds like something that's beefy. So right. Uh, well, you've heard, you've heard me. If you want to, just email me and I'll I'll send you these points of outline. When is your class? Uh, this is a presentation that's gonna take place on Thursday. Okay, good. You know to email me. Yeah, I haven't heard from you yeah. in a while. Yeah, I got you. I'm going to hit you. All right. You know how to email with me, brother? Yeah, I know how to. Okay, yeah. well, all right. I'm going yeah, to let you go now. Bless, bless you, boy. Bless you. Line number four. Let me talk to Ron and Milpitas. Ron, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. We got two <laughs> minutes. We got two minutes, brother. What's going okay. on? Okay. All I was going to say, I, and I know I didn't get a chance to listen to everything because I had to take care of an errand, and then when I got back, I wanted to call you. But, you know, you talked about all the things that are going on. Now, I haven't, what I think, one of the things I have not heard is all of them going before God and repenting. And, you know, I've seen ministers fall from sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Look at Israel. I was a kid, when I was a kid and we were growing up in church, and we heard Israel went back to the idols and went back to the idols. I always couldn't understand because I didn't have the right perspective. I right. couldn't understand why back to the idols. Right. But when I grew up and learned that the idol worship meant I get to have sex in the, in the, in the, in whatever they were, we were worshiping. That was part of the worship. Absolutely. That's why they went back. 100% we, brother. Hey, listen, Ron, you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. Just stay right there for a moment. We may not, we'll just close it right there. I guarantee you. And see, this is a strategy of the enemy, which Misty talked about. He has the capacity to turn everything into sexual gratification, and therefore sexual sexual gratification is the pseudo-revelation. It's the pseudo-salvation. It's the false quickening. It's the false illumination. It's the false ecstasy that we get when we come to know the true and the living God by virtue of the spirit of the uh, the power of the spirit of God working in us to quicken us, illuminate us, save us, bring us joy and happiness in the Lord Jesus Christ versus the flesh being gratified. Soul satisfaction is substituted for flesh gratification by those who are carnally driven in the church. That's all that is, and it's called idolatry, whether it's the women worshiping the preacher or the preacher worshiping the women or both worshiping themselves. It is an idolatry that, as Misty said, can only be broken by a real regenerate heart and sanctifying work of the Spirit of God, bringing men and women into a maturity that is able to overcome that and be a witness to the culture that grace really works amen is that it my brother that's that's about what i was gonna say if we (laughs) you know we're if we get caught i'm sorry because i got caught it's not i'm sorry lord i did wrong right and i'm not gonna gonna say look i'm married and me and my wife we enjoy our time yes indeed and 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 we we enjoy all that 
but you know we do it in behind closed doors for ourselves. That's right, because as I've taught in the uh, Rules of Engagement series, that that's a behind the veil thing that God blesses for every husband and wife. Exactly. It's a behind the veil thing. It's private. Bless you, my brother, and bless you those who uh, those of you who have listened with us for the last two hours. The Lord bless you, keep you, calls his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you his peace. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.